This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, Dojo Live viewers. Welcome back. Today is Tuesday, February 21, 2023. My name is America Guerrero, and it's my pleasure to be co-hosting with, along with Monica Novello, who is broadcasting live from Merida, Yucatan. Monica, how Hi, are you? hello. Yeah, and the most important person today, Peter Reynolds, co-CEO of the company MemoQ, MemoQ all the way from Poland. Thank you. Thank you for keeping <laughs> awake. <laughs> for keeping awake. <laughs> awake. It's not so late. Thank, thank you both for having me. It's nice to meet you, America and Mon. Thank you. Yeah, today is going to be an exciting conversation about translation technology. Welcome. Um, let's start a conversation with this question, Peter. Who are you? What's your story? What, what led you up to start working at MemoQ? Okay. Um, well, When I started working, my, my first jobs were in a completely different field. I was working in, um, in social work, in housing for single homeless people. And I did this in Dublin, Ireland, where I'm from, and in uh, Bradford in England for about 15 years. And after I decided I wanted a change. And I did not know anything about the translation industry or how it was done or whatever, but I found a job advertised for a company in Ireland that was doing a fair translation for high-tech companies like Microsoft and Oracle. And I applied to join there and got a job and gradually became more and more aware of what is happening with this, how it's... Um, how the translation is done and how technology is used to make that more efficient and to put all the bits of that needed in a translation together in a very, very seamless way. And I grew to know the technology an awful lot better. And then I got into managing the technology. And about uh, 14 or so years ago, um, I was invited over to Hungary, to Budapest, to meet uh, three young guys who had founded this company. At the time, it was called Kilgrave, but the tool was called uh, MamaQ. And at, they had worked three years building up, trying to build up the company, but not having a great deal of success. They did very well with the technology, but they weren't making a living out of this. And every single one of them had a got uh, you know another job to pay the bills so my first job at MemoQ was to explain to these people why that um, it was to their advantage that they were from a smaller country in Europe and why that they were telling me that look we're uh, translation geeks from from Hungary who'd even listen to us And I had never been to Hungary until this moment, but I had to tell them the important advantages of being from Hungary, the access to very well-experienced, well-qualified developers, being part of the European Union, which it was and is the biggest market for translation technology, and the fact that 
they had the advantage that nobody would notice them until they got to a certain level and they could grow quite rapidly, quite fast without being attacked by, by other competitors. So my first job was to bring hope to, to these three guys. And my second job was to figure out how we would attack the market. And what we did is we looked at what our competitors were doing and we found that nobody was targeting um, medium-sized translation companies. So we decided we would target that. At the time that I went there, they had not got enough money to offer me a job or to pay uh, for it. So I worked for a year for uh, shares. And by the end of that period, we were in a position where we were winning uh, Deloitte Fast 50 awards. We won them three years in a row from 2011 to 2014. Uh, and we built up a growing company, all of it bootstrapped, all of it going well. That uh, continued. I did various things within the company, mainly around strategy, until a couple of years ago, about two years ago, we had some issues within the company and they needed to be resolved. So myself and another uh, uh, one of the owners and a co-founder of the company, Balaj Kish, we became co-CEOs of the company. And mm-hmm. together with uh, we managed to put everything back on a much more fast-growing uh, tr- uh, track. And in the last year, we grew by 22%, uh, which given that we were already at a reasonable amount of revenues and that last year was not year, I think that was quite an interesting achievement. Uh, the other thing about me that I was saying to you just beforehand is I've, I've got seven dogs, they're corky dogs, and one of my hobbies is to take photographs of them. Oh, uh-huh. that is so One cute. of the dogs has got a an account on Twitter and Facebook and she lets oh. me post my pictures there. We should put that in the banners as well, Ruben. <laughs> yeah, that is adorable. I love that. I really love that. Oh, wow. Um, Peter, just let's go back just a bit. For those okay. who are not familiar with the translation industry, could you please share what's that? Well, in order to get your goods or your product from wherever you make it to, say if you've got a a company in Cleveland, you'll be firstly happy to grow the company so that it serves all the people, you know, your product serves all the people in Cleveland. But even if you want to get to all the people in the United States, you have to start thinking about translation because for for example, uh, you know, I think 12, 15% of people in the United States speak uh, Spanish as their first language. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to Canada, uh, you right. must have it in French. If you want to go to Mexico, it, it must be Spanish. Um, and then if you want to, to bring your products to the rest of the world, they need to be in different languages. And what the translation industry does is exactly that. Uh, there are professional translators who spend six, seven years at college and then do an awful lot of practical work to build up their experience. And they are very, very knowledgeable about uh, about the, the, the 
target market we're aiming to, they will not just be people that will give you the exact translation, but they will probably be domain experts in, in the domain that you're working in. Mm-hmm. Uh, what our company does is we provide technology that does two things. One, it's a translation management system, and that's exactly what it does in what it says. It manages translation. It's a repository where you get all the translations together, where a project manager can send a translation to a translator, get it back, get it revised by somebody else, and so on. Uh, And also the technology within this uh, industry is becoming more and more um, innovative as as, as time goes on. In order... If if you want uh, your your translation, if you say selling your company from Cleveland is selling in Germany, they don't want one translator to give a perfect translation uh, with say the product name put in a certain way, and then another translator also given a perfect translation but using different terminology for certain key phrases. Mm-hmm. So you need to have ways of checking the terminology. Mm-hmm. You need to check for, for er- errors uh, within the text. Um, if you've ever been to a restaurant with somebody that speaks different languages, one of their hobbies seems to be almost correcting the menu. Yeah, and it happens. That may be acceptable in a, a nice restaurant where it's quite funny that you know somebody can find a mistake that that's funny written on the menu. But it's not really acceptable if you've got, uh, say, a tin of cat food where you've called it something that is totally wrong. Yeah. And there, there are other examples that people have of cars that um, are badly named and whatever. And you have to be very careful about all of this. Yeah. And you know, that's what the translation industry does. Make sure that when you're bringing your products to uh, different markets that it's understood the way you want it to be understood. Yeah, and for, the, for those who don't know me, English is not my first language. And I want to share with you that idioms are like the, the biggest challenges for me. Sometimes it's just too difficult to find out what, they're, what the people are talking about. If they're like, if I do the whole translation, it will be like a different messaging for me in Spanish if I want to translate that idiom or in English. So yeah. this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Yeah, Monica, I agree. Yeah, but could you please uh, share with us what is the topic for today's yeah, show and course. the question? Yeah, of course. And I think this is actually an industry's hot topic right now because everyone's speaking about AI and ChatGPT and everything. Today's show is going to be all about translation technology and how it helps grow your business. In a time when it is increasingly important to go global, to grow business, how are AI chatbots showing the importance of giving human professionals control of machine translation? And this is really interesting because I feel like we've been pushing this idea that AI is just going to just going to take over and do it by itself, mm. no? But there is still a huge room for human professionals to intervene. And especially in this topic in translation, I actually, uh, my, my major uh, was in translation, in literature translation uh, at college. And I understand the challenges it takes just to 
to move a context, move a tone, move like so many little little things in the way people speak and mm. communicate in one language into another. And I think it is necessary to still have human yeah. professionals. So please go ahead and let's di dive in into this topic. Thank you, and um, you know, I appreciate your comments there. Um, what has happened over the recent years with machine translation is where you get an automatic translation based on um, a large quantity of data, essentially. That it, in the past, it's been it's been that technology has been around an awful long time, like since the nineteen fifties. And when it was first created, they built it around rules, like they figured out the rules of how we constructed different languages and built it around that. And that worked to a certain level. But then about uh, 20 or so years ago, they started using huge amounts of data and coming up with uh, a probability that if this, if this text is... Uh, is used in the English, this is likely what it will be used in the Spanish. And, and this was called statistical uh, translation. What has been happening with artificial intelligence over the last uh, few years is they've been using what are called neural networks to greatly improve the ability for, um, for this machine to predict what will happen next. And what happened with uh, machine translation is they developed what's called neural machine translation, which essentially is used in a neural network to produce a higher probability that this text will be correct. If this text is used in English, this is probably the text that's going to be used in Spanish. But one of the things that has happened with this is that the text that people see now is much more fluent. When, when you look at it, you think, oh, this is perfect. There's no problem. And then uh, what happens with when people, when professional translators work with uh, text from neural machines translation tool like ours, they see the source text and the, they see the English text and the Spanish text, and they think, oh, this looks perfect, but it has nothing to do with what the source text uh, says, and that's the problem. There were a whole range of new, previously it was always obvious what the problems were because the text would look wrong. Now the text looks right, but it may be that uh, something is missing or the text has been completely translated. And you know, I have... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, for interrupting no. you. I have a question because there's also this uh, rising uh, trend of mixing languages, especially English, into most of the communication we we have. Like, for mm. example, a lot of, of you know, English slang uh, getting into there or companies having English names that can be or could be translated. And is this also a challenge uh, that has to be overcome? Um, it is a challenge, but to some extent, it's a minor challenge because what, how, how things like that are, are managed is that you would use a terminology database to ensure, like, for example, Microsoft don't translate uh, 
Microsoft Windows or Microsoft Office or Microsoft Azure, that the same word is used in, in any language. And you just have it in the, there. You have a set of rules about those words that are built into the tools. In our tool, you would just say that this all never gets translated. And it's as simple as that. But once you set the rules, you're okay with that. And you could also sometimes... The word is translated, but it's always translated in a, in a particular way. And again, you would just set the rules uh, on that. But to, to get back to the issue with um, machine tr translation, your machine translation, four or five years ago, this was looking so perfect that people thought they could just not uh, just use it raw. And they, they were very happy with it, but the problem was that there were mistakes there that they didn't realize. What has happened over the last couple of months with OpenAI releasing ChatGPT is that people are realizing that uh, artificial intelligence is brilliant, it's great fun, it's spectacular, it feels like a dialogue, but it can be wrong. We saw it uh, when Google released the their uh, uh, chat, uh, uh, I think it's LAMDA uh, tool, that they had a big problem. They released a video of this and it mentioned something that people knew did not actually happen. And th this is an issue where something looks perfect but the machine doesn't care whether it's a lie or not. Uh, what artificial intelligence does, whether it's uh, chat uh, GPT or whether it's neural machine translation, is it predicts what's likely to happen next. It predicts that there's a probability that in answer to your question, this is the likely way I should answer it. And the, the words that come out are the words that it's reckoned it, it probably there's high probability that this is the right word to put there. And the same thing happens with uh, machine translation, but in both cases, there can be mistakes. And what people are saying now about uh, uh, chat GPT and whatever is that if you want to use it in a professional uh, setting, you need a professional. Like you can't have, for example, a dialogue written where uh, it, it would be used for a journalist where the journalist is not checking everything. Otherwise, it could have, um, you know, what they call hallucinations, what uh, the rest of us call lies. Um, and, and the same thing's true with um, neural machine translation. In order to get that right, you need a professional checking it. And the issue that we had is that people, because they saw perfect text, weren't getting this. And now when they see what's happened with ChatGPT and they see that, oh, well, sometimes uh, the artificial intelligence is saying something, and but it's not, it's not accurate. The fact that uh, the people building artificial intelligence have got a word called hallucination, meaning that the, the output is, imagined it's wrong it's a lie 
uh, says a lot. And more and more, every time you see an article on this, there is some example that the journalist is giving about something that the chat GPT or another uh, artificial intelligence uh, dialogue um, uh, machine said or wrote that was wrong. Yes. I'm curious about what are the industries that need this kind of technology? Is there any case study that you can share with us? I saw that there are video games on your website or something. Yeah. Um, the, there's a huge amount of industries. Uh, what Mama Q does is we, we work a lot with, uh, with the games industry and we, we've worked with them for, for many years. When uh, we started our, our business, they were just starting to get things localized and it translated into different languages. And they were doing this in a very sort of way where you have some very young, enthusiastic person working 23 hours a day to get the job done. And that's not sustainable. So between us and, and them, we figured out much more efficient and much more... Uh, ways where we got the technology doing the work rather than somebody having to work so so bad. But it, for, for any industry, it matters. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had the COVID um, uh, scare. The, the drug companies making those um, drugs have to have the, the anti-COVID the drugs tested in multiple countries. Because if, for example, a, a drug is just tested in the United States or just tested in Germany, people would be wary about whether it could work everywhere. So they were tested in multiple, in multiple countries. And one of the things that our technology was used is that people would use MLQ for translating the data around these tests and how they should be carried out and the information to do with the drugs. Are, are tools used in banking? It's used in anything, any industry where people work across countries, uh, people use a tool like ours. And in many countries, people need to have translation uh, just to, to work in their country. Like in Canada, if you don't have uh, French, you cannot sell in, in Quebec. And it's yeah. as simple as that. I can't imagine so, the complexity behind every language. Uh, this is something that Mon, well, she's the expert on this, right? But mm -hmm. the complexity that is behind someone who speaks Spanish in Mexico, for example, and someone in Poland who wants to grow their businesses there, for example, mm. so the whole information, it's huge. Is this yeah. something that you can utilize just if you are a big organization? It, what happens if you're a small organization and you have less information? Uh, well, the information that's used to, to get the machine translation is often comes from somewhere else. Like the, the information that ChatGPT uses to power their language model uh, comes from you know what they find on the internet and Wikipedia and whatever. So that's not a particular issue. Um, I, I think it doesn't really matter uh, you know how big the organization is. Obviously if you're a very small a very small company and say you're just selling, say if you're 
you know, a company from Canada and you're just selling in other parts of Canada, the United States and Mexico, then maybe you don't need technology. You could go straight to a, a translation company and get them to deal with everything. But you do need to have your goods in different languages if you want to go beyond um, uh, beyond your current border. If you want to grow your business beyond wh where you're at, it needs to be in a, a different language. And otherwise, it's very difficult. There is some examples where people may... Uh, in the gaming industry, for example, they firstly thought that people would say use the English version no matter what and, and use it. But now what they find is that they have to translate, do the translation really, really fast because they want people in Poland to uh, to have the localized version of the game. And if they take more than a week to do the translation after the original game is released, the peak, the gamers in Poland will have the the version that's already released in English or whatever, and and it's also much more complicated than that because a lot of the games are created a different language. Like in Poland, there's a huge gaming industry, and uh, there was a lot of uh, publicity around Cyberpunk. Uh, that came out a couple of years ago. That's the Polish game. The Witcher's Polish game. In, in Korea, that there's a huge gaming industry where uh, you know the games come out in in Korean and first, and you need them to be translated in order for them to get outside Korea because it's it's just not the case that many people outside of Korea speak Korea, although with the rise in their culture that's becoming more and more popular and maybe soon it will be a thing of the past where people will be trying to learn Korean because of the, the culture that they appreciate yeah like I understand how this can actually intervene in basically any any industry at this point I see it right from entertainment to medical care, you know. Uh, yeah. How long has been, I, I'm sure you mentioned it before, I, I don't think I, I caught it though. Uh, how long has been your journey uh, from, you know, giving those first steps uh, yeah. to today? Uh, what has been like the biggest challenge in your journey? I before you mentioned the part about the you know collecting data from the internet which is kind of uh yeah. something we've seen already with ChatGPT and everything ai yeah. is doing uh, i was going to ask about how you keep uh these database or these probability evolving because language is always evolving uh, and i think it's evolving really fast as of mm. right now but i think mm. that's like solved <laughs> right there mm. yeah. i don't know oh. What we are is a tool that provides the, the backbone, the tools that other people use. So we don't actually have those databases ourselves to for that. We just provide a tool set that a translator would use or project managers managing translation would do. The, the biggest challenges we have now is that... Um, firstly, our, our industry is very competitive, and that's quite quite a good thing. But it's also a challenge. You have to keep, you know, 
beat your competitors and you have to uh, and they're all nice people who we meet regularly they're all lovely people and, and you still want to beat them that <laughs> uh, it's always you always have to figure out what the next technology is that's going to come up how it will impact us you have to have not just you, but everybody in your company has to be totally aware of trends uh, that are happening. Uh, you know, the space of MamaQ started 2004. So it's, uh, you know, about uh, 18 years old, 19 years old. And in the course that the technology that, that's used changes has been changing quite dramatically, you know, and we have to keep up with this, and that, that's a huge challenge. Um, what are your words of wisdom? This is going to be my last question because we're about to end the show, but what are your words of wisdom with all this learning that you have in, in, this, in this industry? What could you share with our audience? Um, I read, read a book about uh, Toyota uh, some time ago, the Toyota Way, and some people in that were talking about, well, what's the strategy? How's it built on? And the general manager of Toyota in the US said, um, well, it's built on respect for people and continuous improvement. Everything that Toyota did from the time when they started in the 1930s, they were making looms for making cloth to now when they're making electric cars and whatever that everything that they've done built around respect for people and um, continuous improvement and I, I would copy their their approach that's that's a good way of uh, of looking at things that if you've got respect for people and continuous improvement not only will life be interesting but also be a lot more fun than any other way of looking at it well, thank you so much for that. That was what a conversation, really. I think this is like both a hot topic and something that is just keeps being urgent and keeps being uh, something to grow. Uh, so really, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we've reached the end of our show, sad, I know, but <laughs> because this is such a fun, fun topic. But yeah, uh, we are at the end of the show. Thank you, Peter, for joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, I think this is actually the last show of the week. Uh, we are working on rescheduling uh, some other shows. Uh, but for now, we'll see you next week on Monday for our Dojo Live recap show. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you all. Bye for now. Thank I'll you. see you Bye. on Monday. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com. <laughs>